0: Before you skip ahead from my awkward voice to the silky smooth voice of the Cameron Jay of Classic City Crime, just know that this ad isn't here to sell you anything. I'm actually looking to buy something from you. Do you have an old house in disrepair or a neglected rental that you're ready to cash out? Look no further. Gottlieb Realty is here for you. Call me at 864-356-5323, text, or email me at nolan at for a free quote. Now enough of that. Here's Cameron J
1: Thanks, Nolan. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to Classic City Crime. I'm Cameron J, and I always say this, what a week it's been, full of ups and downs, twists and turns, and yes, good days and bad days. We're all being honest here, right? I never imagined this podcast would grow this quickly, this fast, and to this large of an audience. I say that all the time, too. But with a growing listenership means a growth in accountability and responsibility. By me and by all of you, too. To remain fair in our assessments, to look at the facts of the time period, to hear from the people who would know best firsthand when possible, and jump to no conclusions until every stone has been unturned. Miss Virginia can vouch. I told her when I started this, I would look at every single lead, old and new, with a fresh set of eyes and with a team, and yes, with all of your ears. To the former law enforcement officials, private investigators, attorneys, and academics who continue to aid in our research for the truth, I cannot express my gratitude to you enough, and I know that my listeners feel the same way. Here is what I believe and want to state on the record before we go any further because it's very important to me. I believe everyone, and when I say everyone, yes, I do mean the person who killed Tara Louise Baker, too, has the opportunity to be pursued by grace. I've experienced that grace in my own life, and I'll admit this podcast has reignited my prayer life and belief in something greater than self. You know, when we review each person, there are bound to be things that will come out that are uncomfortable. I've experienced this time and time again by asking people hard questions. It's something that while I regret, there are certain things I have to share because you cannot help me if you don't know something. So while I might not always get it right, I want to thank each and every one of you for being patient with our progress, being a part of our growth, and being in the fight for justice for Terra. You know, I talk a lot about justice, so I wanted to take a moment to read one of my favorite quotes about justice and what it is. It's from Cornel West when he said, Justice is what love looks like in public. By seeking justice for Tara and for the other families that I hope to work with, we're seeking love. And remember that we must love one another every step of the way. Speaking of love, this is the 20th episode in the story of Tara Louise Baker. The last 20 weeks, we've spent time with her family. I've gotten to know them. You've gotten to know them and love them. We've had ups and downs, leads, and yes, letdowns. And I've had many emotional nights on the phone with Miss Virginia and Tara's siblings. We're 20 episodes in. January 19th will be 20 years from the rainy day when Tara was taken from this world. So with that, I want to take a moment to remind you of one very important thing. Tara had a lot ahead of her. She was genuinely good, not perfect, but so, so good. She was working hard to be everything she could be, and possibly more. And someone took that from her. Twenty years later, twenty years later, little answers have come to this family I've grown to love. So you're damn right I'm going to keep searching, and you're damn right I'm grateful for all of you that have helped us make so much progress at this pivotal time in the Baker family's life. I cannot personally imagine, even having spent countless hours with them, the pain of not knowing for two decades. I'm hopeful that perhaps we can figure it out before January 19th, and even if not, we will have reminded people of the lovely, beautiful, intelligent soul who was taken from this world in an instant with far too much left to offer. So, with this Cameron heart-to-heart out of the way, I wanted to bring it back to where we left off last week. I ended the episode with some information that I'll admit I did see months back when looking over the arsons that occurred in Athens in 2001. But before I dig into that, I wanted to share with you some findings from an old FBI study conducted by Dr. Alan Sapp and Timothy Huff of the FBI in the 90s. Now what they did for this study, which I will link in the podcast description, was take a look at 183 cases of arson homicide in the United States and information on them ranging from the manner of death, the victim and their history, the information about the people involved, and I found the results of the study to be very interesting. It's a report that I read over and over again as I'll tell you there are not many reports out there related to arson homicides. All right so what does this report say? Well it talks a lot about fires and the causes of death in those types of homicides. So fire-related causes which include burns and asphyxiant gases they accounted for 29 percent of the deaths looked at in the study. Bladed weapons, including specific causes of death like stabbing and cutting, were responsible for 22% of the deaths. Injury from one or more gunshots was 20%, which is the third most frequently occurring cause of death in this study. Death by application of blunt force trauma accounted for 14.1%, and asphyxia accounted for around 13.7%. The study goes on to look at how the gender of the victim might have a difference in the outcome of their death. So, males were more likely than females to die by gunshot or by fire-related deaths, and females were more likely than males to die by asphyxia, blunt force trauma, or bladed weapons. Sound familiar? Age also played an interesting role in how the murder occurred. You know, when you look at Tara's age bracket, the study found this. The cause of death for victims in the 18 to 29 year age group was more equally distributed, with gunshots, bladed weapons, and fire being the most frequent causes of death. And the percentages are pretty close to one another there. Asphyxia and blunt force trauma were less frequently noted as the cause of death for Tara's age group. Now, in 62 of the cases examined, some of them included other crimes, not just murder and arson. We have that in Tara's case. A laptop is missing, remember? 20 of those 62 crimes also involved robbery, followed by sexual assault at 17 cases. Finally, in 72% of the cases looked at that happened in the victim's home, the victim knew in some way the offender. Now, I could go on for days with information from this report, and I'm really nerdy over it. I will link it. I encourage you to read it. I tried to contact the authors, but there's one common occurrence in this case. One of them appears to be deceased, and the other I have yet to be able to locate. Now, let's get back to discussing the two specific arsons that happened between January and March of 2001 right here in Athens. You see, there were only two fires set in Athens during this time frame, which involved a blanket being placed on a stove and the burners being left on, which is quite a unique way to start a fire. Experts agree with me on that. The two fires being the one at 160 Fawn Drive and the one involving the woman we introduced last week. This could be pure coincidence, I said it then, and I'm repeating that now. But it wasn't until some other connections came together that I thought we should present this to you to see if anyone in the community might have knowledge on this new bit of information. Remember, I'm speaking of what was happening in 2001, And I am in no way judging anyone, including the woman, who, as you all know, recently became a victim herself. Not only was the woman involved in this similar arson, she was confirmed to have been involved with Ant. She was confirmed to also be involved with the man who said Ant brought him Tara's laptop, gotten from his, quote, white girl days after Tara's death. Now, I'll admit, I did not want to go here, especially once it was clear to me what had happened to the woman in question. I didn't know that she killed Tara, and I've said that. I don't know if this is all coincidence or if there might be something she could know to help. Unfortunately, I'll never have the chance to ask her, and I find that to be a shame, and it breaks my heart for everyone involved. But you know, you don't have to take my word for if it's true that she was involved with Aunt. You don't have to take my word for if it's true that this arson occurred. You can take it from the sources directly, and you can take it directly from court documents. I, Cameron J, have assumed nothing. As you can imagine, going down this avenue was not met well by all, particularly those who were close with the woman, and I know they are still grieving the tragic loss of their daughter, sister, and friend too. So I immediately began my quest to reach out to someone I knew knew her best. Who better to ask than her best friend? And I think she admitted to being upset with me at first, but after explaining the things I had uncovered, why I was exploring the option of her having knowledge of Tara's death or being near the scene of the crime, she seemed to understand. I did get in touch with and talk with the woman's best friend. However, we were not able to get in touch with one another on the phone for an on-record interview before the podcast aired. But there are a few key takeaways that I did learn from her in our back and forth online, one that was very productive and respectful. First, I apologized for having to ask her these questions, and apologized for anything that I or the podcast might have said that hurt her or made her uncomfortable. She seemed very grateful for that, and we ended that on a good note. We did not discuss the details of her friend's death, and I don't believe those to be relevant to the podcast other than that it thwarts us asking these questions of the woman herself. What happened in 2001, however, is relevant and is a different story from what has recently happened. I asked her about her friend, the woman in question, the woman she loved, and she was very upfront with me that her friend would never kill someone and that if she had, she would have told her and was not happy with the assertion that she might have, and I told her that I understand the sentiment. She confirmed her friend did know the aunt and knew her friend to hang out with him on a few occasions. She also confirmed her and her friend knew the guy who said that he was brought Tara's laptop by the aunt. She was surprised to learn about the timing of the arson at 160 Fawn Drive, and she says that the woman was living with her when the arson occurred two months later on Oglethorpe Avenue in the same manner. She did know that the cover or blanket was used on the stove, and she did tell me that she kicked her friend out of her home when she realized what had happened because she, quote, didn't want her own place to be burned down. The friend said she believes cocaine was involved in the arson that occurred after Tara's death, a substance that we've heard associated with other persons of interest, too. We've talked about a few other things that I'll leave between me and her, but her overarching theme in our convo was that she did not believe her friend could or would do something like this, neither killing Tara nor setting fire to her home. Now, I do want everyone to know one thing. If you ever want to speak out on behalf of anyone who has ever been mentioned to tell your story or to help tell theirs, my heart my podcast, and my mic are always open to you. Always. And with that, we'll be right back with more information on that arson in question. We'll speak to the woman whose house was set ablaze in March of 2001. We'll be right back. This week, we're breaking for a few insider updates and announcements. First things first, Election Day is Tuesday. Make it count and be sure to get out and make your voice heard in these challenging times. I also wanted to make sure to let you know, be on the lookout for stainless steel tumblers from Kismet Designs this week on our official Facebook page. Finally, if you haven't already, be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at ClassicCityCrime. If you're interested in sponsoring or partnering with us, be sure to email us at ClassicCityCrime. City Crime at gmail.com. The story continues now. The woman you're about to hear from was working in the dead of night in March 2001, just two months after the fire at Tara Baker's home. When unbeknownst to her, a fire was being set at her home by someone she knew quite well. Here's our interview and her discussing what happened that day and the person she knew. Yeah
0: have a very very long history um we all went to house went to school together from elementary school on up and her and i both have the same best friend who of 30 years but she was my best friend's other friend but her and i never got along ever from elementary school on and so our paths didn't cross just you know she spent time with me when she wasn't with and she spent time with when she wasn't with me but my house with a little 17-year-old boy she was dating that I was friends with, and he, apparently she got really jealous because he had been to my house. I had two roommates that were guys, but he had been to my house without her, and she had found out about it and had gotten mad. And so one night when I was at home, she had come by and started a big fight and was hitting him and, you know, doing all this crap at my house, and I wasn't going to have it, so I kicked her and him both out, and I told him neither one to come back. And it was after that, I guess. I was at work when that happened. But she came over, and my roommate was home, and he had let her in because he had opened the door when she knocked. He didn't know who it was. And she came in and let his dog out. I had a puppy, a boxer puppy, and she, she uh, he had a boxer. And so she had let his dog out. So when he went out to get the dog, she locked the door behind him and put the blanket on the stove, caught everything on fire, took my puppy, and left once everything was engulfed in flames. Oh, my God. So, yeah, so they called me, and I was at work, and by the time I got there, the fire department was there, and they wouldn't let me in, and everything was, the whole apartment was destroyed. But they couldn't find her. Well, she had gone to our, my best friend's house with my dogs, and my best friend had gotten the dogs back and kicked her out because of what she'd done. And um, a couple of weeks later, like, I had tried to talk to the police about it, and I, a couple of weeks later, I'd seen her on the road, and she tried to run me off the road. On the east side. So I didn't have a home at the time because my home had just been burned down. So I went to a payphone and I called the police, and I tried to explain to them that the girl that had just burnt my house down a couple of weeks prior had just tried to run me off the road. And they wouldn't say anything or do anything. They kept telling me to go home and pull back. And I kept trying to explain to them I don't have a home. And this was back before cell phones and before you know any of that. So it's not like I could just call them from somewhere else. And so they didn't do anything
1: about it. Um, did you ever... That's crazy. So the reason the connection yeah. here is the way Tara's home was set on fire was by someone putting a blanket on the stove and turning it on. Yeah. Um, and there's just this connection with Aunt possibly being in her house. So, you know, you see where my mind is. It's just like well, this is all a little coincidental for me and a little too close for comfort. Did you ever know Aunt at all?
0: Yeah. Aunt was one of my best friends for... 20, 25 years. He just recently died a couple years ago.
1: Right. Did you ever hear him talk about Tara Baker or anything? I don't know if that's...
0: If when I got your message last night, the name rung a bell. But I didn't... I don't know if it was him. The name rings a bell, but I don't know from
1: where. It possibly could have been from mm-hmm. him. And did you know f- Aunt to ever hang out? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I did know that. If someone asked you if had a violent streak in her that could cause her to hurt another human being, would you say oh, yes, that? definitely. Definitely. In a heartbeat. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Could you see her breaking into someone's home? Yes. And why would you think she would do that? I mean,
0: she's crazy sober. She's always been crazy. drugs okay. right to that, and it's
1: not a pretty picture. Do you, okay, this is gonna be a stretch, but do you remember if back around the time like that your arson occurred at your house, if she like dyed her hair blonde? Yes. Okay. And she had long hair? Yes. All right. And oh, the last thing, do you know what type of car she drove like when she tried to run you off the road? Or what color it was? Uh, honestly,
0: I have no idea. I want to say it was like a little kind of sporty car, but other than that, I, I have no idea.
1: Here's the interesting thing. I showed both the woman's best friend and this source that you just heard from, a photo of the attorney in question. Both of them say he looks so familiar. And remember, everything that is said in an interview does not necessarily reflect the views of the podcast or myself. I've said it before, I'll say it again, I would love to talk to this woman, I'd give anything, and her tragic, untimely death makes this perhaps as far as we will go if no information comes forward from here. Now I caught up with the drug dealer who was supposedly brought Tara's laptop by the aunt in the days after Tara was killed. I asked him if he knew this woman, he said he did. In fact, he was a witness to the arson she committed in March of 2001. He had some things to say, but I will confirm he did know the woman and the aunt to hang out in 2001 regularly, and I'm going to leave it there. Finally, I reached back out to our good friends Tom out in Texas who helped us out with the arson investigation in the beginning and answered a lot of our questions. I gave him some of your follow-up questions and it took him a little bit to get back with us, but I just wanted to read those off to end this episode. The first question I asked was in regards to the witness saying that he smelled smoke between 7.30 and 8 a.m., but the fire wasn't discovered until, as we know, around 11.25. So I asked him if he thought it was possible for the fire to remain unnoticed for that long. He said, yes, the smell the neighbor was smelling is most likely from a smoldering fire. A smoldering fire produces smoke but minimal heat with the exception of where the smoldering is occurring. Smoldering fires are notorious for taking a while to present themselves in the form of flames that are observable. 2. Do you think the fire could have started later? He said, given that the perpetrator placed a blanket on the stove, the fire could have smoldered and then once it had sufficient oxygen, transitioned to flaming combustion. This happens quite a bit in attics that have blown in insulation and recessed can lights the heat from the light degrades and causes the insulation to begin to smolder it will smolder and slowly spread through the attic once the smoldering nears an opening in the ceiling it can then transition to flaming combustion that people can see number three is there a pattern of the types of criminals who would use a stove of all things to ignite a fire His response was The National Center for the Analysis of Violent Crime identifies six motive classifications for fire setters vandalism, excitement, revenge, crime concealment, profit, and extremism. In this instance, it is most likely the result of the want to cover up the fact that she had been murdered and the perpetrator used what was readily available. It would likely suggest, as we've heard before, they did not come prepared to set the fire, it was an afterthought. So we've got a lot to digest and to research and to vet here, but I want you to do something this week. Email me your true heartfelt questions to classiccitycrime at gmail.com. Let's have a one-on-one and I'll feature some of these questions at the start of next week's episode. By the way, do you remember that man I told you about who was in a Georgia state prison who might have information on this case? Well, he's talking. And I have a theory or two about how all of this could fit together. Theories that, yes, I'm often reluctant to share because I know they could end up not being the truth. And to me, the truth matters. The bakers, too, have their own thoughts of the web being woven as you listen right now. Next week on Classic City Crime, I'm Cameron J. Thanks for tuning in. This episode was a little shorter than usual, but of course full of new information, and there's more coming next week. Just wait. As always, this is hosted by me, Cameron Jay, co produced and designed by Kyle Kazaya. You can visit us online at classiccitycrime.com. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Classic City Crime. And you can join in on the discussion in the group page. Make sure to keep it respectful and always abide by those rules. Take care, and we'll see you right back here next week.